Snozberries taste like snozberries. <laughs> oh shit. Woo! They killed the cop! Oh shit, get out of the car, man! Oh man, this is the cop car! This is a Hello! You boys like Mexico! Welcome back to Two Cops and a Donut. I'm your host, Dirk Mason, and with me always is my co-host, Teddy Maxwell. This week we'll be introducing a new donut, we'll dive deeper into Teddy's military background, and I'll discuss how I entered law enforcement. This week in Pop Culture Corner, we have Die Hard, and we'll conclude the podcast with an entertaining call of the week. Stick with us for episode number three. And now, the donut of the week. Mmm, donuts. Hi, this is Teddy Maxwell, and this week's donut is brought to you by Lamar's Donuts. Lamar's Donuts is a chain of gourmet donuts founded in Kansas City, Missouri in 1933. Lamar's has 26 stores in five states, Arizona, Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska, but it plans to expand to other states as well. So hopefully, in a short period, you'll have this delightful donut in a city near you. What do you think about these donuts? So far, so good. They're really good. What are you thinking? What do you? Well, first off, let's, let's start here. What are you eating right now, Dirk? Another Boston cream. Right. A Boston cream, for those of you who don't know, is a yeast-risen donut with chocolate fudge on top and Bavarian cream in the middle. Yeah, and I've eaten one every week this week. The funny part is is that Dirk has been talking shit for the last <laughs> week, saying, okay, we're not going to eat like a dozen donuts this time. We're only going to have one. Uh, I've counted three so far for Dirk. Yeah, I've had my fill. <laughs> and there's no shame in my game. I'm going to have my usual six and then take a four-hour nap. <laughs> so so how does this compare to uh, what we had last week? Well, first off, the donut of the week I had was... What did I have? Oh, the donut of the week I had was an eclair. Um, basically, yeast was in donut uh, in a, what would you say, oblong shape? Yeah, it was... Shaped like a bar? Bar-shaped. With fudge on top and marshmallow fluff in the middle. And for those of you who don't know, marshmallow fluff is a marshmallow topping typically used on ice cream, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can make a marsh... Uh, they call it a fluffnutter sandwich where I'm from. A fluffnutter sandwich? Yes, it's peanut butter and marshmallow <laughs> topping and white bread. Oh, yeah. I actually heard of that. Yeah, it's really, really good. So they... Um, I guess Lamar's decided to create an awesome donut with marshmallow fluff in the middle. Well, and I had a apple fritter. He did. He's been begging me for apple fritters for the last week, and we finally got him one. But I think that, uh, I don't know. I like their donuts, but the apple fritter, out of 10, I'm going to say it's about a 4. A 4? Yeah. Why? There's not enough apple in there. You need more apple. You mentioned that from the get-go. I don't know anything about apple fritters, so it tasted good to me, the portion I had. Oh, it was good, but definitely needs more apple. Yeah, you said that. I'm sorry if you can hear me chewing over the mic because I'm still eating my donut. Belly full of Boston cream over here. Yeah. Well, uh... I'm not shamed. Dirk was very, very shocked when he saw the size of the box this came in. His apple fritter was the size of a boogie board. It was huge. (laughs) 
could have went surfing on that thing. It was enormous. And the box that it came in was also equally huge. It was the size of a garment box. When I opened it, I think Dirk expected a wedding dress to be popping out instead of <laughs> a box of donuts. <laughs> so where does this rank in terms of... So uh, week one, we had Dunkin' Donuts. Week two, we had the infamous Krispy Kreme. And week three, we have Lamar's Donuts. Where does this rank for you? I'm going to say probably number two. Number two, so we're, like, let's get a one to three. What's the top for you? Krispy Kreme so far, mm-hmm. and then Lamar's, and then Dunkin' Donuts. What about you? I'd have to agree. I really, really enjoyed uh, Krispy Kreme's last week. It was great. I don't know what they do to those jelly donuts, but they're like heaven. There's like a little bite or something to the jelly inside, and a lot of donuts I've noticed basically have a lot of dough, but not a lot of jelly in the middle. Lamar's was no different. Dunkin' Donuts almost had none. I know Lisa had a jelly, and she's like, where's the jelly in this guy? Yeah, she got three-quarters of the way done and then found jelly later. So I would have to agree. Um, the donut <laughs> game, I'm going to have to say Krispy Kreme, number one, Lamar's, number two, and Dunkies number three. But we have a lot more to bring to you. Uh, again, today I attempted to go to that other store that I attempted to go to last week. Dude, and you got to call them out. I know. I, I need to go there at like 6 a.m. It's really getting annoying honestly i might not just go there anymore yeah their donuts are good but they're not that good they're not voodoo donuts you know what i mean and voodoo's uh i don't know we'll talk about voodoo later okay dirk what are we drinking today more bones coffee bones coffee and i have to say uh it's probably the best it's the best coffee i've had in a while i uh actually changed it up oh <laughs> would you you had the jacked uh jacked o'lantern yes yeah, so i'm a basic white dude i love pumpkin spice anything beers lager ciders coffee cheesecake ice cream anything pumpkin i'm game for it and uh dirk was nice enough to get me uh, some pumpkin coffee from bones yeah it's delicious i uh i had the s'morey time this morning before we started this and then now I just made a chocolate raspberry. And I can't. I don't know, man. I don't know what they're doing with that stuff, but it is amazing. It smells incredible. That's the thing I noticed the most is it smells unbelievable. Now, Dirk, uh, what is s'moresy or whatever you just said? S'morey time. S'morey time. What is that? It's a marshmallow s'more coffee. It's literally tastes like a marshmallow, like a burnt marshmallow. And do you drink your coffee black with sugar, with cream, with flavoring? What do you put in yours? Well, I normally drink it with just like a standard vanilla, like almond milk creamer. But with this coffee, I don't need creamer. And I'm drinking it black. And once again, Bones Coffee is in no way affiliated with two cops and a donut. (laughs) I am drinking the pumpkin spice, as I said. I like to put a little bit of flavor in my coffee i put a uh, pumpkin spice creamer in there just enhance the pumpkin flavor and it is absolutely delicious so dirk what do we have coming up next personnel files the personnel files yeah so we're gonna get let's start off with your uh military stuff so we'll be right back awesome All right, Teddy, we're diving deeper into your military background. Let's hear it. So last week I finished with 30th AG, which was the holding area for us Army guys getting ready to kind of enter the the military and go to basic training. 
So if a basic training officially began when our drill sergeants arrived at 30th AG on long olive green school buses. There's no yelling or threats, just orders to gather our gear and board the buses. This was surprising and concerning at the time. At this time I was 22 years old and I wasn't accustomed to these mind games. So I was lulled into this false sense of comfort. Maybe this won't be so bad, I thought. The bus drove a short two miles through Fort Benning. It abruptly stopped on a hill. In the distance, I could see a line of like double wide trailers surrounding a large collegiate-esque track with a sand pit located in the middle. Immediately heard the sirens blaring from a bullhorn and an unknown voice ordering us to get the fuck off my bus and in a very authoritative tone. The shitstorm had officially begun. They proceeded to smoke the ever-living shit out of us. This lasted hours. <laughs> this followed by a briefing on how to properly hydrate and what to do when you're battle buddy. I just used air quotes when I said battle buddy because it's fucking stupid. <laughs> we do that here all the time. Inevitably had heat stroke. And this would be my home for 14 weeks. So what was your daily schedule like? My daily schedule? My daily schedule went something like this. 0-4-30, wake up, run to the bathroom, shave, then get your PT gear on, get outside to formation, and con- conduct PT until about 5.30. What was, uh, I had a buddy in the Marine Corps, Yeah. and uh, they wore the small little shorts. Did you have little tiny shorts, too? They were like, do you remember Umbro? Mm, I don't. Umbro are these very, very mesh-like shorts that dry very easily. They were very unappealing to look at, to say the least. <laughs> Now that you have those on, you get outside in a formation, then you conduct PT until about 5.30. 5.30, you shower and get into your ACUs. ACU is an acronym for Army Combat Uniform. At 6 a.m., you have breakfast. You get approximately three minutes to shovel down all the food you can. 6.15, oops, someone sneezed. Everyone into the sand pit, where they conduct disciplinary PT for 15 to 30 minutes. For a sneeze. For a sneeze or anything. They're looking for anything at this time. And during this time, uh, during PT, most of your breakfast pretty much finds its way into the sand pit. <laughs> 7 a.m., gather your gear and get in a formation. 7 to 12, training. This includes weapons training, hand-to-hand combat, land navigation, PowerPoint presentations, medical training, and wellness. 12, lunch. 12.15, oops, someone farted. Back into the sand pits, <laughs> where your lunch meets the dirt yet again. 1 p.m. to 5 excuse me, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., you conduct more training and it's gonna be more of the same. At 3 p.m., you go back outside and you do PT again. This includes hill sprints, running the track, pull-ups, push-ups, team events like fire, fireman's carry. It's all old school basic physical fitness and calisthenics. 5 p.m. is dinner. 5.15 p.m., oops, someone coughed back into the sand pit. You kind of see a trend building here. Yeah, when you mean uh, PT or smoke, you're saying like, <laughs> is it like in the movies where like, ah, get down and give me 20. What are you laughing at, pig boy? You find a piece of candy in your pocket? No, sir! What's your name, Tubby? Heathcote, sir! Heathcote. You know, you remind me of the doughboy. If I poke your stomach, we'll make you go. You know what? I'm gonna help you make room for lunch, bacon boy. Drop down, give me 30, sit up right now! Let me see that belly roll. One, tubby, tubby. One, sir. Come on, pork chop. Two, chip. No, you would think it would be, but it's not. Basically, if you get down to do push-ups, they will keep you in that position and doing push-ups until 
you can no longer even support your body weight. Right, so they don't give you, a, like, a stupid number. No, they don't give you a number. That'd be awesome. Three, 300 push-ups. I always thought it'd be like, get down and give me 30, and it's not like that. I yeah. wish it were. From 6 p.m. on, uh, it's weapons cleaning, mail call where you get approximately five minutes of happiness, laundry and cleaning. Uh, 9.30 p.m., lights out, but you don't really get to sleep. At some point, you're going to have to pull fire guard for an hour almost every night. This ensures that you never reach a REM cycle and you'll be exhausted the following day. You can couple this with the fact that 65 men are living in such close quarters, so whooping coughs, sinus infections, and bronchitis spread like wildfire. Pretty much rinse and repeat, and some variation, this is the schedule that you have when you're in basic training. When you mean firewatch, get into that a little bit, though. Firewatch is a way to prepare new soldiers to be up at night. If you're out in the field or you're out in a real-world combat situation, guys need a rest. So Firewatch is basically you keep, you do a percentage. You either do 50% Firewatch, which is half the people are up while the other half sleep. You do 33% or basically a third of the guys are up while the other guys are sleeping. And then you do in rotating shifts. Okay. And it's just a way to get you accustomed to doing all that stuff. Oh. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. Sure. So, Teddy, do you guys get any free time in uh, any basic? Any downtime would have been spent writing letters to family and friends. Receiving mail was probably, like, the most gratifying aspect. Cough drops were like cigarettes in prison, so if anyone sent those, it was, like, amazing. You could trade goods, services, and money for, like, a menthol halls. <laughs> I once saw a guy sell a menthol cough drop to another soldier for $20. Jeez, are Fucking you serious? asshole. The seller, not the buyer. Yeah, it was. It was uh, guys are that sick. You you were extremely sick the entire time you're there. So they wouldn't. They wouldn't. I mean, give you anything for that? Not really. Hmm. No, it's just kind of tough it out. I mean, if you're at war, are you gonna? What I mean, even if you're like throwing up and stuff, like you can go to sick call. That's pretty much where they send you. They don't give you the day off. There's no such thing as I'm taking a sick day in basic training. They send you to a medic station. They give you ibuprofen and then they send you on your way. Maybe some anti-vomiting pills or something. Something. Yeah. I never went. Oh. Uh, I got sick. You know, it was mostly like a cough and a cold, but I never got anything too bad. The sniffles. Right. <laughs> So continuing on, uh, basic training consists of three phases. There's red phase, white phase, and blue phase. Red phase is when drill sergeants are constantly all over everything you do. They live in the barracks with you and are constantly waking you up and smoking your tits off. <laughs> they focus mostly on like teamwork and military bearing and like teaching you how to be a soldier. Right. White phase is when they start loosening their grip on you. They're still hard on you and they still smoke your balls off, but they aren't around like 100% of the time. They usually go home around 5 or 6 p.m. and only leave one drill sergeant for the entire company, which is approximately 250 soldiers separated into four living quarters. Like, those trailers I mentioned before, those were our living quarters. Okay. A fucking double-wide trailer. I mean, it couldn't get any more white trash than that. Did uh, did they still, like, throughout the night, would they wake you up and stuff, or did that one drill sergeant leave you alone mostly? He left us alone, because you got to understand, if we're up doing stuff, they're up doing stuff. Right. So okay. it's an intense three-week period. You think the entire basic training is going to be this, like, hell fest. Right. Where you're just constantly being disciplined. It's not like that. So blue phase is when you're more autonomous. As much as you can be in that environment and like physical punishment is less common, but it's still like a salient aspect of training. You start to focus more on like tactics and actually being a soldier. At the end of blue phase, they give you a 36 hour leave pass to get off base. Our fucking drill sergeants gave us Halloween off. Big fucking mistake. Oh. Tight <laughs> I drank for 36 hours straight, but I made it back alive. <laughs> and a little tidbit, I think we had, out of the 250 or so soldiers, I think we had 10 or 12, because they immediately give you a drug test upon arrival, uh, 10 or 12 uh, 
pissed hot, or they took a urine analysis and tested positive for cocaine and other amphetamines. Oh, shit. Not, so, like, just marijuana and shit. Not they, marijuana. Would they let that slide? They were summarily let go of the army. They were chaptered out immediately. For marijuana? Yeah. If okay. you, on your 36-hour pass, if you took, did any type of illegal drug, they would That's remove good. you from the army. Yeah. <clears throat> what, uh, before you continue, what uh, what phase did, would you say that they start, like, uh, like letting loose to where... Because, like, in our lease academy, mm-hmm. they started doing that build-up phase where they're like, hey, you know, oh, hey, you're starting. They're treating you like you're a cop now. When did they start treating you like a soldier? So my training was, it's called OSIT, One Station Unit Training. It's for infantry soldiers. So most soldiers, once they're done with red, white, and blue phase, it's a nine-week period, three weeks each, they go on to AIT, which is their basically their job inside the military. Right. So ours... OSIT was basically you do your three phases, you get the 36-hour pass, then you return with your drill sergeants for a five-week period, then you complete your infantry training with those drill instructors. Uh, it didn't feel any different than basic training. They were still disciplining you. They were still treating you kind of like a maggot. That kind of sucks. It blew. <laughs> it sucked. Following blue phase upon coming back for a 36-hour leave, we all smelled like a goddamn speakeasy. <laughs> we conducted infantry training, which was five weeks. It was all infantry tactics actually learning how to be a soldier how to utilize your weapons how to dig foxholes how to do uh, patrols how to do ambushes raids stuff like that um they do it at very rudimentary there wasn't that in depth at the end of all of that at the end of that 14 week period you probably know about 15 to 20 percent of what you really need to know prior to going to war yeah kind of like in the police academy you don't <laughs> we don't get that yeah on the job training where it's the stuff that you actually need to know to do the job. Right, right. Yeah. So that's the end of basic training for Teddy Maxwell. Next week, we're going to be going over airborne school. That oh. was the next school I went to following infantry training. So we'll go over that next week. Cool. Dirk, now we've gone over the fact that you've been a police officer for about six years now. You're from Michigan. So do you have like an origin story, like where it all began for you to like become a police officer? Like what, what was your first job in law enforcement? Throwing me a loop there. Um, Actually, my neighbor growing up was a sergeant at the local sheriff's department, and that's actually how I got started. Okay. Um, I got to do ride-alongs with him because he was super cool and was like, yeah, anytime you want to come and ride along and see how the job is, you know. So I was in high school still, and he said, come aboard, basically. So I got to do that and start doing internship with him my last uh, senior year of high school, and I just was kind of addicted afterwards. Okay, and where was this again? In Michigan. Okay, and the area that you were doing ride-alongs in, was it like a really high crime area like where we work? Let's just say the county is like 29 square miles, Mm -hmm. and there's only like 26,000 people there. There wasn't very many people, a lot of farm town and stuff like that, so. Okay, and what would you say the primary duties were there, or that you saw at least? Uh, Well, I mean, through the sheriff's department, they have more units are a lot smaller because... I mean, like, if they have a guy that's specialized in DUI, it's one guy. Right. For their 13-man department. <laughs> yeah, and one detective or... Yeah, maybe two, three detectives at the most, like, three sergeants, like, not as the extent of what we have at all. Okay, so following your, your ride-alongs, I, I assume that kind of got your interest sparked in law enforcement. Did you work in law enforcement in Michigan? Um, I did. I, uh, well, first off, wanted to do... Um, 
I wanted to go to college and get my degree and stuff. So Smart. Yeah. I went, did that, and then my last year uh, getting out of college, I contacted uh, a neighboring county, and one of the guys I knew did Marine Patrol, which is uh, patrolling the waterways basically within the county. And what waterway would that be? The Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean? <laughs> <laughs> no. it's uh, So we, had, we were so close to Lake Michigan. Like, okay. I lived... Probably within you know two to three miles of the of Lake Michigan, so we that was like the main waterway. And then you know how many lakes and streams are in Michigan? It's just you can't count them all. Right. So. Sure. So you did marine marine patrol. What was your like? You weren't a, were you a police officer then, or what were you doing? So I actually like I didn't have a certification other than uh, it was like they call it being deputized. Oh, okay. So you actually had like police powers or you had like arresting powers and yeah, can enforce laws the sheriff uh knights you with a glock 17 no he doesn't <laughs> <laughs> no be cool though uh no he you basically you have to take the class so marine patrol when i graduated college i went to saint ignis which is just north of the bridge uh mackinac bridge it's literally as soon as you get off the bridge it's the first city right there okay um, it was a week-long training that we did. Just It was specialized in anything related to boats. So we learned about the registrations, boat rescue, CPR. They did some taser defense tactics, stuff like that. But it was only a week long. Ah, so you were, you were Captain Buzzkill on the water then. Yeah. Basically, wear your life jackets. You know, this isn't up to code. Yeah. You guys are drinking. All that stuff. And All they did stuff. they did the basic DUI, you know. How the hell do you do that on a boat? It's basically, all you have is the nystagmus. Okay, so you know, the eye test, basically, to see if they have horizontal gaze nystagmus. Yeah, you cannot, I mean, observations, you got bloodshot, watery eyes, you know, slurred speech, stuff like that, but can't do anything else, so. Sure, yeah. That's cool. That's like <clears throat> Bruce Willis and striking force whatever the hell that movie was uh, striking distance striking distance where he's the god damn Bruce Willis plays a drunk ass <laughs> <laughs> disillusioned cop so many times um Who was, what was the girl uh that Sarah was Jessica with? Parker yeah yeah she was she was attract she was really attractive in that movie yeah um but she was she was the by the book cop and he was the drunk he was the drunk i remember he was trying to let a bunch of kids go from drinking alcohol and she wrote him a dui yeah and that was you hard ass that was you hard ass <laughs> uh, i never did dui on there because it's like you can drive a boat and drink it's just uh, oh you can you can yeah i didn't know that but you have to show signs of impairment just like driving in a vehicle an right so there's okay. the limit but i mean if you're over the limit mm-hmm. i don't know i wouldn't unless you're completely annihilated i don't think i would arrest anybody for that but right like a guy pukes on your shoes or something like mid yeah but testing boating accidents do happen so yeah they do i've actually had a guy puke on my shoes during testing before gross so how long did you do that how long were you in marine patrol i just did it for a season so six months six months okay and what was the schedule like uh, it was 12 hours, and I could, you could basically pick your schedule, but I was scheduled to work weekends, because that's when all the people were out on the boat. Right. So. Was the pay any good? Mm, for a summer job, yeah. I mean, just getting out of college, I 
I wasn't going to complain, I guess. So well, how much was it hourly? Uh, anywhere. I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was in between like 12 and 18 bucks an hour. And, and for Michigan, that's pretty good. Yeah. And holiday pay, you get time and a half. I mean, it was pretty good. So yeah, especially when you're kind of like a younger dude that doesn't have too many bills and all that stuff. So life hasn't really um, come into factor, I guess, in terms of, you know, money and finances and everything. Yeah. That's cool. So you did that for six months, one season. After that, where did you go or what was your next step towards law enforcement? Oh, man. Um, well, for, I'm going to take a step back with the Marine Patrol. The coolest part about that is we got to train with the Coast Guard station that was right in the same county. They had a Coast Guard station on the lake? Yeah. Uh, lake Michigan in uh, where I'm from, yeah. I'm not going to give them name the city, but no, uh, it was awesome. So they, uh, we could do... We actually did uh, like tactical boat shit. You would drive at 25, 30 miles an hour, and go right like inches within this boat, and well, Lake Michigan borders Canada, correct? No, actually, Lake Michigan doesn't border Canada. Lake Erie and Lake Ontario do, so that's why uh, the Coast Guard is there because the waterways connect. Interesting. That would be a cool post if you're on the Coast Guard. Dude, cake. Yeah, I mean, just get paid the basic military whether you're enlisted or you're an officer you get paid the yeah. which so, is yeah. good it's awesome you get those federal bennies you know what i'm talking about well i didn't know so so you did that you, following the six months did you work as a law enforcement officer in michigan following that just no it was just that so okay what was it like applying to the various departments in michigan in terms of like uh, i know that a lot of people will pretty much go wherever they're hired first did you apply to any law enforcement agencies in michigan so the thing about Michigan is is that they do everything's different there. It's not like out here to where you get hired on by a department and go through the academy. Okay. In Michigan it is you have to go through a college academy, which I don't know why. So they all train the same, which is I guess good. And then you after you get your certification from that college, then you can apply to any department in Michigan. So even like a big department, like let's say Detroit PD or something or Grand Rapids or like a bigger police department out there, they don't have their own police academies. They all go to the, the collegiate ones. Yeah. Oh, Centralized. So once you do your uh, academy at the college, you put your application into say Grand Rapids and then they say, oh, yep. Okay. We want you. Interesting. Yeah. And this isn't, these aren't just like cookie cutter. I'm actually interested. I didn't know this about Michigan at all. I'm actually being educated right now as well as you guys. That's very cool. So you apply, could you tell us where you applied following work in Marine Patrol? I, well, I didn't uh, apply to any departments in Michigan. I applied to like 18 different departments throughout the United States. Oh. And I did it mainly because I didn't want to pay for my own police academy because you have to pay out of pocket. It's taking out another loan, get all your equipment, go through the academy, pay college credits, and then hopefully you get a job afterwards. Now, when you go to college, can you get like a standard college loan to attend the police academy like a normal person? Or is it like you have to pay the thousands of dollars out of pocket? Like, will the federal government give you like a Perkins loan or something? I'm assuming they will. I don't know that. That's a good question. We might have to get one of my Michigan cop friends to tell me that. But yeah. Uh, I think from what I understand is that you can get an extended student loan for the classes and maybe the equipment, but I'm going to have to say you pay for the equipment out of pocket. Okay. Cause depending on what Academy you go to, they're going to ask, Hey, 
well, we need an ass baton instead of a straight baton or right. something like that. Or we carry, in this academy, we carry Glock 19s instead of 17s. So sure. It's going to be different. Well, that's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's going to be it for personnel files. Next week, we're going to be going over... Let's start off with my first department. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Following Marine Patrol, Dirk went to a different state. He got hired in a different state and became a police officer there, and that would be his first police department. So we're going to dive into a little bit of that next week, and we're going to go over airborne school for Teddy. That's me, Teddy. Teddy. Let's do it. Cool. And this week on Pop Culture Corner, it's Die Hard. Die Hard is a 1988 action thriller film directed by John McTiernan, starring Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman. This film follows off-duty police officer John McClane, who is caught in a Los Angeles skyscraper during a Christmas Eve heist led by German terrorist Hans Gruber. Interestingly enough, this film was shot on a mere $28 million budget. Keep in mind this is pre-CGI, so all the explosions and destruction were actually filmed and not computer generated. Today, Dirk and I will discuss our observations of John McClane's hijinks as he waxes near duels with impunity. <laughs> Let's get into it. It's Christmas Eve in LA. California. See what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be taught a lesson in the real use of power. They're as brilliant because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. But I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants... Think, David, think! ...is to be a hero. Where's Howie? Tucker! Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? <laughs> John. They have already killed one hostage. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Lady, do I sound like I'm worn to pieces? He's inside? Who is he? Who are you then? You are most troublesome for a security guard. Sorry, wrong guess, huh? Would you like to go for double jeopardy? Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee guy, mother. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. I couldn't help but notice throughout that 2 minute and 38 film, or uh, movie trailer, the amount of gunfire that was in there. Yeah, and they also had to bleep out like 90% of the dialogue because it was all F-bombs and shit and all these (laughs) different derogatory terms. First off, I'm going to ask you, Teddy, what do you think of this movie? 
In terms of cop action movies, this is one of the all-time greats, for sure. I know you said earlier that this is your favorite action movie of all time. Favorite, yeah. This is definitely one of my favorites. I've seen it probably a hundred times, and it never gets old. I rewatch it probably twice a year. You put it in your Christmas uh, movie category? Totally, totally. Along with Jingle All the Way? Yeah, along with the Christmas story. (laughs) You have to have it. You have to watch it. I mean, it's one of the best Christmas movies of all time. Yeah. It fits right into that family Christmas genre. (laughs) All right, you start us off here. Well, we have John McClane. He's a New York City cop who is going out to Los Angeles to see his estranged wife, Holly. You notice at the beginning, he gets picked up by Argyle, who's like the limo driver. Yep. And I think it's Argyle's first day of work. And John McClane is really not accustomed to all this because he's like a blue collar guy. So I think that's kind of leads into like the character. They try to build that right away. Like his character is kind of like, hey, I'm just like a blue collar street guy, street cop. Um, and yeah. all, all he knows is being a cop is, I mean, and that's what I get. He's carrying his firearm in the, on the plane. On the plane, yeah. sure. So I think that's kind of what the John McTiernan, the director, was going for. You mentioned before, uh, who was originally going to be cast for this role? Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Sylvester Stallone. Who were probably the epitome of the two top action stars of the 80s. Yeah, definitely. And Bruce Willis was more of a comedic television actor at that time. I think this was his like big movie break. Yeah, I think it was his first uh, big action. I mean, his big movie period. Yeah. So I think after Schwarzenegger and Stallone passed on the movie they're like okay i think they probably changed their direction and wanted a more normal looking guy because willis is is as normal as it gets right i mean you mentioned we talked about it before he's like how old is he supposed to be in the movie mid to late 30s i think yeah i mean like you said he's balding already he's i mean he's not like ripped like stallone and yeah he's not like a huge fucking weightlifter right i think it makes it more realistic i mean personally i think it makes it that's like what a normal cop would look like right and you don't have uh arnold schwarzenegger and sylvester stallone they're just they're huge guys i mean you don't normally see that on patrol so right you might have one or two guys on a department that are really really serious like bodybuilders or weightlifters or something you know right um and unfortunately a lot of those guys are meatheads yeah yeah so what let me ask you this what stood out to you like give me some of your observations of this movie what stood out to you in this movie well, like you said, Bruce Willis is like that normal-looking guy. He's he doesn't he doesn't seem like he's a very huge like action star. I, I think no. that's the biggest thing and the reason why it turned out so good is because it's his first movie, and this is what made Bruce Willis like the action star that he is. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing that stood out to me. Yeah, and I think once Schwarzenegger and Stallone passed on it, I think that's where John McTiernan was going with it. Yeah. Like, this gives us the opportunity to show your everyday dude become an action star. Yeah, and that's I think that makes it, makes it more believable. It does, it does. And he gets, like, supremely fucked up in this movie. Yeah, I mean, like, he, <laughs> he gets beat up beyond. Yeah, you know, he's just covered in cuts, and he's all, yeah, he's beat to shit in this movie. Um, the thing I noticed the most, I'd have to say, is the fucking German terrorist. I mean, they were like your stereotypical World War II Nazi scumbags with like a splash of 1980s mixed in. You know what I mean? They're right. like, they're huge. They're like 6'5". They're like way bigger than John McClane. They're blonde as fuck. And they're like monosyllabic with the way they like talk and the way they act. You know what I mean? They're very robotic. <laughs> um, 
And one of the, the cool pieces is that they use H&Ks throughout the movie. I think you noticed that. You told me that last week. You said you noticed they use H&Ks. Yeah, and uh, Hans Gruber's uh, weapon of choice, that pistol. It's like the... I'd have to look up the exact specs. Don't quote me on it, but it's like an HP2 or something like that, 9mm. And, and that's a 9mm gun? Yeah. And okay. the coolest part about that gun is most people who uh, are 1911 people know that you have the grip safety in the rear. This one actually has one in the front, mm. which it stands out. It stands out between like every pistol. So. And Hans Gruber does a lot of killing with that thing. He shoots a lot of people. And no, if you notice, he doesn't shoot more than one round at a time. Yeah, he was. It's always headshots for Hans Gruber. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I noticed he used a lot of um, H and K MP5s, which yeah. is the German-made submachine gun. Um, and I thought that was good for continuity with the whole German terrorist thing. And you were talking about how many uh, how many rounds can you fit in one of those? Yeah, so <laughs> we went over this, and I'm calling it the infinite magazine. A standard magazine for an MP5 holds 30 rounds, 9mm. For whatever reason, McLean and the terrorists in this movie have created a magazine that holds approximately three to 500 rounds. And I saw Bruce Willis, what, change mags once on top of the rooftop while he's getting shot at? <laughs> right, and I'm sure it's possible to make a magazine that holds three to 500 rounds, but it's absolutely impossible to make a magazine with the exact dimensions of a 30 round magazine. Right. Um, and for the, the, those listeners out there, I just want to let you know that if you were to go full auto with that, you would run out of ammo within what, two to four seconds? At least. Yeah. Fast. And John McLean doesn't do that many magazine changes. He's the infinite magazine. <laughs> you notice though, he doesn't ever, he doesn't go full auto he just, you know, he's bursting all the time. I didn't notice that. I just thought he held the trigger down. <laughs> I did not notice that. Yeah. Dirk, so what's another nuance you notice in this film? Uh, you have to start with Hans Gruber. The uh, the entire information that he knows about this place, about the <laughs> Nakatomi, like everything he knows. I think that's completely absurd. Yeah, he goes through at the beginning, and he goes to the party, and he starts listing off Nakatomi's education and his family history and where he immigrated from and everything. He seems to know quite a bit about Nakatomi and the building that he's in. Right, and we were talking about how how easy would it be to commit a crime like that if you knew all that information. Right, I think that's the most incredible part about it, and I think that would be the most credible part about any criminal would be that if they had that much information, I think... Any type of crime would be possible. Yeah, I would. I mean, what would stop me from doing that and stealing all those bonds if I knew all this information? What do you mean, other than being a cop? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but they knew about the vault. They knew about, yeah, like the guy's background, everything. They knew about the building. Yeah, and you have to wonder, like, where would someone get that much information without setting off a lot of alarm bells to authorities or even Nakatomi himself? Yeah, and then then when they're in the building and they do all this stuff, they use their actual names. Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I noticed that too. Maybe in the 80s it was different, but now if that's like that's like 90% of it. If you know who's committing the crime, you're going to find them. Yes, even though, oh, we're going to need a chopper at the local airport to get out of here. It doesn't matter. Like, if they commit a crime that large. Yeah, if you go to Germany, Interpol is going to intervene, and they're going to find you and then arrest you and then extradite you back to the United States for whatever crimes you committed. Right, because uh, what when I don't know if it's when the FBI shows up or when it's that ca- duty captain, but they 
And they find out, uh, yeah, it's Hans Gruber. He's like a notorious criminal. Right. International terrorist. Yeah. Hans Gruber. Sure. Yeah. I noticed that too. I noticed that they do that quite a bit in the movie. Uh, it's just it's one of those nuances that you, I, I guess, is maybe overlooked. Like no matter what, you're not getting away with this crime. You might get away with it temporarily, but overall, you're not going to get away with it. Right. I mean, what, what, what sticks out to you? Well, one of my favorite aspects of this movie, and I think it goes back to my childhood, is the inclusion of Reginald Vell Johnson, a.k.a. Sergeant Al Powell. <laughs> now, he's introduced in this movie as he purchases like 20 to $30 worth of like Twinkies, Ho-Hos, and cupcakes. And it's funny because the, uh, like the cashier is like skeptical of his motive when he does it. And Powell says, you know, you know, I think the cashier says, hey, I thought you guys ate donuts. And Powell replies, my wife's pregnant. And he's like, yeah, right. You know? Tells um, him, just bag it. Right. And I think as a viewer, you, you would say to yourself, oh, well, maybe his wife is pregnant. And he's getting her all these things. And then uh, as he's talking to John McClane through the radio, he says, he starts listing all the ingredients of, like, Twinkies. Like, polysorbate 80, <laughs> sugar, cornstarch. Yellow number five. <laughs> Yellow number five. Like, he knows all that, you know? But it um, turns out his wife is actually pregnant, so that's what makes it funny, I guess. Right, right. But and all those snacks are for him. Or maybe right. he's splitting them with her. Who knows? Yeah, maybe she likes them too. But it's cool. I like that they made him a police officer in this because, I don't know if you remember. Family Matters. Family Matters. Carl Winslow. Yeah. Um, and I love that show growing up. One of my favorite shows of all time. And he was like the best cop slash dad combo of the 80s and 90s. Right. So I really liked, I think... That was a really good way of including, like, an ally on his only ally in the movie. Yeah. Was Al Powell. He was talking to him over the radio and kind of, he was his link to outside the building. You know? <laughs> and the way uh, the way he's introduced is funny, too. You know, he's just, he's just nonchalant. Oh, the weather outside is frightful. Dun, da, dun, delightful. <sighs> For the love... Hey, Lincoln 30 to dispatch. 830, go ahead. Yeah, that's a wild goose chase over here at Nakatomi Plaza. He's a sergeant. I see a sergeant stripes on there. Yeah, he's then... like a death sergeant. I think he mentions that he pushes papers now. Yeah, because he can't be out on the street because of uh, his incident. Mm-hmm. They shot a kid. Um, but then, uh, you know, he's just like, ah, I'm close to the Nakatomi building, so I'll check out this alarm call. Mm-hmm. Goes over there, la-di-da, you know, <laughs> walks up into the building gets close i mean there's a bad guy around the corner holding that mp5 and then he's like ah fuck this like get the hell out of there well how many of those do we get we get constant welfare checks and noise complaints and stuff from buildings and houses i mean it's probably a call he's been on two thousand times yeah and that security guard in the front is just you know he's watching a game yeah, it's just plausible has five bucks on what notre dame or something yeah. and he has a german guy faking like a southwest accent right. <laughs> like god damn it <laughs> i got money on these guys it was notre dame and usc their oh, annual yeah. like you know a holiday game or whatever so yeah i i liked how they introduced him and then um you know they showed John McClane's struggle up top. He's just like, who is this Joker? Like, yeah, who's driving the car? What, what does he say? Yeah, he just seems really, really... John McClane seems really <laughs> upset with the response that LAPD gave to it, uh, showing up to the building, you know? Yeah, just one one black and white, they said. Yeah, one black and white car and one officer who's not expecting to find anything. Then he just his car gets lit up with the automatic machine fire. Yeah, and before this... I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but John McClane's on the roof transmitting this over the radio to L.A. Dispatch, who would you would think would be accustomed to hearing gunfire, and these freaking 
chuckleheads and dispatcher, you know, uh, this is a secure channel, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, come arrest me. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's actually a good point. Like, he, they, they hear gunfire in the background and they're like, let's send one car. Yeah, one black and white who's a desk sergeant. Like, really? Right. You would send, at a minimum, you'd send, in our jurisdiction, you'd send at least three or four cars to a shots fired. Like, well, that you hear shots over the radio? When you hear shots. Yeah. So, and uh, another good point. Th- another thing was uh, we were talking about. You said that this is in a kind of a rich area of L.A., right? Yeah, I believe it's Century City, which I think borders... I used to live in Los Angeles. Uh, I think it borders, like, Beverly Hills. It's close to Beverly Hills and those kind of ritzy areas, I think. I'm not 100% sure. So maybe in those areas, they're not used to hearing that? I don't know how many dispatch... I'm not... Oh, L.A. County and LAPD is enormous. They have, like, 25,000 cops or something. It's huge. So the jurisdiction is just enormous, you know? Right. And, and we have a huge jurisdiction. It's probably three or four times the size of ours. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. Do you have any other negatives about the movie that you want to bring up? Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's hear those first before we get into the positives. Well, let's get to w- one huge negative. Uh, and this is how extremely dangerous and irresponsible John McClane is by setting off like 100 pounds of C4 in the building. <laughs> you know, I wonder what his thought process is, is. I have gotten the C4 and the detonators from the terrorists, so I'm going to set it off in the building that they were going to set off in the first place? Yeah, I don't get that. Like, this is pre-9-11, so no one knew that, like, blowing up a portion of the building could maybe make it collapse or whatever. But he throws it down an elevator shaft where, like, I assume the foundation and support pillars (laughs) are located, and he blows up, like, a huge part of the building with a bunch of cops in close proximity. Right. I mean, what the fuck are you thinking, dude? (laughs) I, another point I want to bring up in that uh, John McClane after that explosion, the I think it's the captain or the <laughs> commanding chief or something down there. Yeah, I can't it's, think it's, it. the actor's name is Richard Gleason. Uh-huh. He was the principal in 1985's The Breakfast Club. Okay, but he, he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he goes, he goes. Uh, you set off this explosion. My guys are covered in glass. He's like glass. <laughs> like <laughs> that's all yeah. you're worried about. <laughs> yeah. No. Totally. I just thought that was a very... That's fucked up. Yeah. How do you do that? Like, I'm, like no why, person and, would consider doing that. And why did he do that, I guess? I don't recall why he did that. I don't know. Yeah, it's... Uh, I can't remember either. I'll, I might have to watch that part again. Yeah. Uh, I assume it was to keep it out of Hans's hands. Yeah, but then to detonate it, like you said. I mean, he knows that there's how many people on the level 30 yeah and he's gonna set this off on what the second floor I he think? dropped it on an elevator shaft so i think it detonated on the first floor or the basement yeah and i assume that was his plan all along maybe to throw him off i don't know yeah so what else you got on your uh agenda there for negatives? my agenda um i don't have much else that's negative obviously it's it's a 80s action film so it's quite unbelievable but it's entertaining a lot of stuff john McClane does is i mean could be true to life if you really if you add in the or subtract the fact that he has unlimited ammunition. I, I like the whole barefoot aspect of it too. I thought oh, that yeah. was great how he was like getting changed and getting ready when the shots went off in the party. So he really didn't have any choice. He just had to grab his gun, whatever he had on him, and he was barefoot. And a small thing from that is, is the guy he was sitting next to on the airplane told him to relieve stress was to you know take off his socks and socks and shoes and you know, make that downward motion for his toes. I don't yeah. know what that's supposed to do, but that's why he was barefoot. Yeah, and you mentioned something earlier uh, to me about uh, when Hans Gruber noticed he's barefoot. Yeah. And he tells, uh, I think, um, the other 
German guy. He says, shoot the glass. He tells him to shoot the glass because he's barefoot. Now, you mentioned something about the production aspect of that. Uh, what? How much money did they spend on glass in this movie? Uh, from what I heard and read in there, it was $130,000 just in glass. And I assume it's like the fake breakaway glass or like the sugar glass or whatever. Yeah, they, apparently they used like three or four different types. Okay. And that was a major plot in the movie was that once Hans realized he was barefoot, it became a lot harder because he started shooting the glass and it made him injured. I mean, fuck, if that was me, I would be out of the game. Yeah, I would have been like, Hans, you win. I'm pulling the shit out of my feet right now. And I think that's why he did that is because, you know, if you sustained a foot injury on the best, like the bottom of your foot, it would incapacitate you, I feel like. I mean, yeah. I, I've had a bottom of the foot injury and it sucks. They don't heal fast. No, it takes forever and it would be extremely painful to just move around. Yeah. So I thought that was a really cool aspect of the movie. Um, decent continuity. I love the ending of Hans Gruber dying. And I love that John McClane, your average everyday cop, was the one that took down a terrorist organization. And he's not even from that area. Not even from that area. <laughs> oh, I got to bring this up, too, um, <laughs> because this is one of the funniest things. Um, so right when he starts, the guy in the plane says, hey, how come you haven't moved out to be with your wife in California? And he goes... Ah, I got too many backlog cases. And, okay, as patrol officers, who has backlog cases? I think <laughs> that he are might... Felonies. I know in the second one, he was a lieutenant. He might have been a detective maybe. in this one. And maybe he felt the responsibility of, hey, I started this case. I need to finish it. Maybe he had some really serious homicide cases he didn't want to hand off. I don't know. I agree with you. I mean, if I were going to leave my department, I'd be like... See ya. <laughs> Someone else can take it. You know. Yeah, I guess they didn't specify in there if he was a uh, detective or not. So. Right. I believe he was, and I believe in the second one he became a lieutenant, but okay. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, one more tidbit is that Hans Gruber, the actual fall to his death, mm -hmm. they had him hooked up to where he actually fell. Are you serious? Yeah, so the fear in his eye when he fell, it was actually a 25-foot drop where he was, and they told him, hey, we'll release you on three and they actually pulled the cord on like one or two and he was just Fuck like that. shocked yeah i would be shocked too yeah. like these guys aren't built for this these guys aren't military these guys aren't built for that they're actors you know what i mean yeah and to do your own stunt and drop 25 feet that's it. It's pretty fucking cool man that is pretty cool so well folks that's the end of pop culture corner this week and we had die hard we hope you enjoyed listening to our observations so before we get to the call of the week, Teddy, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Rex Overdrive um, from Abominations and Technicolor. He's been helping us out, uh, starting off with our podcasts, and I feel, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like it's gotten a little bit better. Yeah, Rex has absolutely unbelievable production value in his recordings, and he's been a great help to us in terms of getting our podcast off the ground and improving every week. Um, he's been a wealth of information for you. Every question you've asked him, he's helped you out quite a bit yeah yeah so go over to his uh podcast you can go on i believe he's on itunes or spotify at abominations and technicolor so give him a listen yeah and pretty much what rex does is he goes over kind of what movies that would be considered not great movies but were somewhat um kind of a classic hit. yeah cult classic type movies usually 70s 80s 90s i suppose and it's absolutely hilarious his observations are great i listen to it when i'm on patrol all the time so yeah so uh you ready to do the call of the week let's do the call of the week teddy uh 
How are you feeling after the six donuts you just pounded? I think I'm five donuts in and I'm going strong this week. My body is becoming accustomed to just <laughs> sugar, <laughs> recycling sugar and flour with impunity. I'm doing good. <laughs> All right, let's get into this call of the week. Uh, so the call of the week, um, we're going to title it the beaver in the pool. And you said to start with that this isn't your call. To start, this is not my call. This is anecdotal information. This happened to an officer on my department who relayed this story. And it's just too good not to share with you guys. So I'm going to do my best in telling it. But evidently, (laughs) this is probably one of the funniest calls I've ever heard. Okay. Well, so we have here uh, for our call notes is 1,200 hours. Reporting party states that the beaver is swimming in her pool. Animal control was notified, and she's asking for police to respond. Upon police arrival, <laughs> they were skeptical to say the least. Uh, this area is very, very—it's the—it's considered the ghetto. There are no wild animals there. There are no. De- it is Colorado, but there's no moose, deer, wild animals anywhere. I mean, you'll see stray cats and dogs, but that's it. I mean, this was the ghetto. So up urban, right? And oftentimes, as police officers, when we get a call. We shouldn't be doing this, but we make our determination prior to arriving. (laughs) So I'm sure the officers that arrived at that call said, she's full of shit. That's not a beaver. It's probably a squirrel that fell in her pool. Right. So this was an apartment complex with 360 degrees around the pool, I guess. Does that make sense? About three stories. Like a horseshoe or something? Yeah, like a horseshoe. So upon entering, uh, when they showed up, they saw a rather large beaver doing laps in a swimming pool it's absolutely preposterous as a patrol officer what do you do in that situation you can't do anything right i'm not tangoing with a beaver and i believe these officers said the same thing and they waited for animal control but there was a actual beaver going back and forth doing laps major consensus is is probably that the beaver was a pet of someone who lived in the building a pet beaver I, people have some weird <laughs> shit. Mike Tyson has tigers. People have ferrets. Yeah, I get Well, yeah. Maybe. I, a I don't beaver know. is weird. I, I get it. And I think it was following its natural instincts to just be in water. And I'm sure he's just like, what the hell is this? It's <laughs> filled with chlorine and like human feces, you know, considering the area. Oh, God. The beaver was uh, there doing laps and they, you know, plucked it out of the apartment swimming pool. And I believe they took it to animal control. I, you know, I think that if it was someone's beaver, I think... <laughs> They would have come out and claimed it. I mean, what's the worst? Like, if your dog got taken by animal control, what would you do? I mean, you'd have to go get it. But, dude, we go on so many animal calls that we probably shouldn't. I mean, what are the police going to do? Yeah, and that's one of those YouTube videos that will come out or someone with their phone. Like, if you get attacked by a dog, you know, you pepper spray it or something. Their cop attacks poor dog when, in reality, the dog is attacking the cop and the cop's trying to get away from it. So I personally don't like going on animal calls because I'm not trained in that. Yeah. I mean, and I love animals and I don't want to hurt animals or dogs. And if they act aggressively towards you, what are you going to let a dog do? Bite you? Right. Or in this case, like a beaver nibbling on your hand. I imagine the gopher from Caddyshack with like a huge <laughs> like tail. Like, yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, the most common animal call that we probably go on is an accident involving a deer. I mean, that's yeah. probably the... The most common, and sometimes the end result is that is that we have to actually shoot it. Dirk Mason, your host <laughs> of the show, has actually shot a deer. I have, unfortunately, uh, not like I want to shoot a deer uh, point blank, but yeah, I had to. It, it, the deer was hit by a car, and it was on its last leg. There was no saving it. It was it was 
pretty much it was a mortal wound and Dirk was kind enough to kind of put him out of his misery but yeah he didn't want to I as I recall it was very, <laughs> very I laugh uh, but I shouldn't so very emotional to him but that's a short call of the week but I don't think people expected for me this is two calls I've done and they're both animal calls oh yeah it's true animal calls are typically non-controversial particularly if you're not pepper spraying or tasing them <laughs> uh, beaver I mean I don't know, especially in this area. It always reminds me of the movie. Um, what's the Tom Cruise movie with the Jamie Foxx? Oh, yeah, Collateral. Collateral, where the police pull up to the Jamie Foxx and say, your windshield smashed, why is there blood on it? And he <laughs> says, oh, I hit a deer over off a of Slauson. He goes, a South Central deer? Uh, I, I hit a deer. You hit a deer? Yeah, over on the, uh, I was on Slauson. A South Central deer? Yeah, they out there. They, uh, it, it ran right in front of the car, and I couldn't avoid it. Pretty much the same, same idea, I guess. You yeah. Know? So. Well, I think that wraps up. I mean, I could talk about Die Hard for another hour, but I cut Dirk off, and he was pretty upset with me. Yeah. He said we could talk for hours about Die Hard, and I, I'm in full agreement. Fortunately, this podcast should be somewhere around 60 minutes, and we're approaching that now. So. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna ask you right now because we haven't discussed it and i want your honest answer what movie do you want to do next week next week i want to do super troopers okay so we did lethal weapon week one we did hot fuzz week two we have die hard week three so it's kind of like straight action comedy straight action comedy there aren't too many police officer movies that are comedies yeah i like it let's do it super troopers so next week we'll be bringing you a new donut of the week We'll be diving deeper into the personnel files, and in Pop Culture Corner, we're going to have Super Troopers, and then we'll have another call of the week. Yep. So that's it for us. We're going to be signing off now. What do you uh, say, Dirk? I say the only thing left to do is have people contact us on our Instagram and email. And what is our Instagram? Two Cops and a Donut, and that is TWO. Not the numerics. There you go. <laughs> I have to mention that every week because I don't want people getting it wrong. And if you'd like to email us with any uh, suggestions, please do so at two cops and a donut at gmail.com. And that's two spelled T W O. Yep. And uh, just give your suggestions and maybe we'll review a movie uh, that you guys suggest. Any movie, donut, anything you want to ask us, we'll bring it up on the show. All right, let's do it. <laughs>